Hello, and welcome to episode 100 of the Property Management Show. Yes! And it's brought to you by Four and Half, a marketing agency that creates and implements owner lead generating plans for property management companies. We handle all aspects of owner marketing from creating a conversion driven website, nurturing leads, reputation management, social media content creation, online ads, you name it. Visit fourandhalf.com to learn more. Today's guest is going to talk about online rent payments and what market trends he's seen throughout the pandemic. Spoiler alert, it's not exactly what we thought it was going to be. He'll also share his worst case and best case predictions of what will happen to the industry for the remainder of 2020 and possibly leading into 2021. So here is our interview with Dave Spooner from Inago. So Dave, thank you so much for making time to be a guest on our podcast today. Um, so, you know, to start things off in an earlier conversation we had with you, um, you mentioned that surprisingly, despite what everyone kind of predicted, um, the, the number of, um, rent payments that are delinquent, like hasn't been as bad, but like you would have more visibility since you, you know, you work with a lot more landlords across the nation, um, what would you say um, about that and kind of like any insights as to like, why is it kind of insulated from all the crazy stuff happening? Right, right. right. Yeah. And, and first of all, thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, yeah, when we had first kind of discussed, I think our plan was to talk about delinquencies. And, and surprisingly, when we dig into the data, we find that that's not really the, the narrative here. Mm-hmm. Um, rent is, for the most part, getting paid and getting paid as close to on time as it typically does. Um, now there's certainly variation there, but for the most part, it's, it's, it's within that, that normal ballpark. I think there's, there's predominantly a, a couple different things that are happening here. First of all, landlords have chosen to make a lot of concessions to ensure that whatever rent they can collect, they are able to collect. Um, you know, there's of course an eviction moratorium in place right now. There was first the one uh, laid out nationwide, and then there was the CDC one that followed up. Landlords know that they don't have a lot of recourse here. Um, so they're just trying to collect what they can. And in doing so, I'm, I've seen a variety of different plans. We see landlords that are reducing the total rent that tenants are paying each month. We've seen landlords take a month of rent and spread it out over the course of the next 12 months, for example. Um, we've seen people give direct credit to their tenants just to play ball a little bit and help them out and, and help them get what they can paid. Landlords are working alongside their tenants here. So the, the net rent being collected is certainly down. There's no doubt about it. Um, but tenants being delinquent, the percentage of the whole is, is really not up in, in any meaningful way, which is encouraging in, in a way for the market that it's found a way to adapt pretty rapidly to, to a lot of adversity here with COVID. And that's so interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple of things. So net rent, total net rent, is, is lower, but in right. terms of no rent collected, it's not as bad as everyone thought. And so, um, you know, in a sense of like landlords are working more with their tenants to try to work something out just so some money is paid. Sure. What role does a property manager, manager play in that space? Like, do you find that these efforts are initiated by the individual landlords or um, are the property managers the ones approaching the landlords, for example, and coming up with a kind of a way to make both parties happy? 
Right. Absolutely. And I often speak about property managers and landlords interchangeably, right? Because you've got some that operate in, in both spaces. Um, I would say that from a property management standpoint, it's definitely being initiated by the property managers, right? It's not being initiated by the owners, the investor. Um, of course, owners want to be as hands-off as possible. They want to say, hey, get me my rent, have the, have the check show up, and, and I'm all happy. But a proactive property manager should really be reaching out to those owners and kind of navigating them through uh, uncharted waters here and just explain to them, Hey, here's our situation. Here's what we, you know, to, to some degree, if we have a bad renter, our, our backs are against the wall. We can't kick them out of the space because they haven't paid rent. So let's find a way to move forward here where we can still get mortgages paid. We can still get whatever income we can in here. Um, although we might have to take a, a slight reduction and hopefully the owners are not over leveraged that they can handle a bit of a shock here. Um, and hopefully the property managers can retain as much of that portfolio as, as possible. So you mentioned, you know, reducing rent, payment plans, some types of credits. How much do you think that government aid has contributed to allowing people to pay rent and the delinquency numbers not falling off the charts? Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's the second, I think that's the second narrative to draw from here is, as far as why payments are still coming in, right? It's because the programs put in place for the most part worked, right? I mean, people yeah. got a $1,200 stimulus. A lot of people that are paying rent, at least people that are above that income bracket, oftentimes aren't paying rent anymore. They're homeowners. So people paying rent got that $1,200 stimulus check, sometimes two to a household. Um, they maybe got unemployment, got the unemployment bonus. Those programs yeah. really did seem to assist households in, in covering their rental costs. Um, it's not really easy for us to say how much, right? Because we don't know a ton about their income situation. Um, but my guess is it was, it was a pretty big uh, part of the story there. So that's definitely a big piece of it. And I think those landlords that took um, action to try to offset some of the challenges with collecting rent and also had a clientele that were receiving those checks are in really good shape because they probably didn't have to make quite the number of concessions that maybe other landlords did and other yeah. property managers. Did. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I'm curious to know, right? So we're kind of talking in broad terms of like, in general, delinquency payments were not as bad as expected. Total rent collection was obviously down, but it's not kind of like the end of the world that everyone yeah. was expecting. Um, would you say there are specific um, geographical factors that affect that? Like, for example, if we average the whole U.S., this is the case, but are there pockets of the country that just have a completely different experience than others? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And the answer is big time, um, which, I mean, that's how real estate is, right? Real estate is so localized. Each market is so unique. And, and you might find that your market is more impacted by COVID than others, or your, your market is more insulated against COVID than others. Um, I think what we're seeing in broad strokes is that the large cities that have traditionally been employment magnets are the hardest hit. Um, and it's not, again, it's not necessarily hit by delinquencies or even hit by rental concessions. The, the secondary thing to draw from this is occupancy is, is certainly down. Um, it's down, it seems to be approximately 5%, which is significant. I mean, that's a big chunk. Um, and it's in a lot of those markets like a San Jose or a San Francisco or a Boston or a New York, that typically people are coming from across the country to move there to get a job, maybe in a tech sector, for example. Well, now they can work from home. And a lot of people in, you know, my generation, maybe they don't have kids yet, they're in their early 30s, late 20s, it's easy for them to move back in with mom and dad across the country for, for six months to 12 months. So they may choose to break that lease, they may not re-up for a new lease, 
Um, so those markets are definitely feeling more of the impact from an occupancy standpoint than I think the rest of the country is. So maybe the more expensive markets, like we're talking about bigger areas, but also dollar amount. So if I'm, I mean, for sure, we even had a, a colleague recently moved to Washington where she was living in, you know, the Bay area, much more expensive. So it's like, you're working from home, right? Why not move to somewhere beautiful with forests and oceans and pay less rent? Right, right. It makes a lot of sense. So have you seen a Absolutely. spike or a reduction or an increase in occupancy, I guess is the way to put it for, for more affordable areas, or is that kind of not, not very clear? You know, we haven't really, at least not anything noticeable. And that could be for a variety of different reasons. One is, as I mentioned, some people choosing to move back in home, right? right? So there's no new renter created there. Or right? moving in with a friend that already has a home, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe you take roommates. Maybe you thought, oh, finally, I'm going to have my own place and COVID happened. And you said, well, maybe I'll put it off for a year, right? right. So you, you continue to rent with somebody else. So we're not seeing anything substantial. I think at the very least, the, the negative side is outweighing the positive side on that front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of um, vacancies, um, do you do you see landlords or property managers doing any kinds of concessions to retain their tenants? If vacancy is a big issue, right? It's like, are there are there kind of special deals going on just to protect that, or um, nothing bundles? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I think that those ongoing concessions are are what landlords are trying to do. Um, to keep people in. I think that there's a natural inertia away from movement though, right? So for those markets that are reasonably priced, that are not the super expensive San Francisco's of the world, um, renters aren't, you know, if they're on a month to month lease, they're not getting up and saying, I got to go move now in the middle of this pandemic, where it's difficult to do showings and, you know, having movers come through your stuff and going and seeing different things. They don't want that exposure. So I think people are staying put more than before. And we are seeing less transition. Um, we're also, um, I, I attended a, a, a kind of digital conference with uh, the TransUnion hosted, and it was great. They brought in some people from across the industry to speak to uh, what they were seeing, and it reflected a lot of what we're seeing at Inago as well. And one speaker uh, from, from Radix, they collect data on predominantly um, uh, showings and on leases that are getting signed, right, amongst other things too. Uh, but what they're seeing, which is interesting, because we don't have the leasing piece of it, we don't have the showing piece of it, they're seeing a sharp reduction in showings, but a much higher percentage of signings after showing, right? So people are seeing less apartments, and they're signing from less showing. So people just want to see one or two, they see, you know, oh, this is a one bed, it's big enough, it's in a nice enough area, I'm just going to sign it, I'm not going to shop around and see every different apartment out there. So I think that's one of the changes that we're seeing as well, uh, that people are, are trying to reduce the amount of, of, uh, of searching that they're doing for apartments when they do need to find a new one. That's interesting. So it, it seems like, you know, renters are less shopping around as like, let's do every research we can without getting exposed, like maybe online. Right. And then we maybe just see the top two and then make a decision. Whereas before you can just go to any property that, Right. Why not? Right. Yeah, right. Well, Angie, sometimes you had to because the market was so competitive, right? Like depending on the area, but if there are less people moving, there's more opportunity. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, I think that's exactly right. And a lot more landlords and property managers are starting to invest in showing software as well, right? To do digital showings, 3d tours. Um, maybe they do, you know, a FaceTime or a zoom 
with a bunch of people on it where they're showing around the apartment. So there is not as much physical interaction. So that's the other thing is some of these showings maybe aren't getting um, identified as showings per se, because they're not traditional showings. Maybe they're occurring digitally before somebody does go in person. Mm -hmm. So it's really changing and shifting the landscape of how showings are occurring and, and how property managers and landlords are managing their listings in general. Yeah. And that makes sense too, if they aren't count, if, if, some people, maybe some people are, are counting the virtual showings as real showings. Some people aren't, right. but it also stands to reason that people might be, as Marie said a couple minutes ago, looking more online, but even those virtual totally. tours save so much time. I mean, I remember I've been in the same apartment for f almost five years, but I remember it was such a hassle trying to find a place to live because you want that perfect spot. And the market was so competitive. Right. At, at the time that you had to be first in the door if you wanted to get it. Right. So it's, it, it's just so interesting how the state of, I mean, the state of the world can change, <laughs> can change something like that so significantly. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from COVID is that shocks like COVID, and it's a big shock, they accelerate trends within the market. Right. Yeah. They make things happen faster than they're already happening. It's not that digital showing software didn't exist. And it's not that digital showing software wasn't becoming increasingly popular. But something like COVID creates an impetus for more people to use it. More people get exposed to it. More people like it. Now they say, well, you know what? Our first showing is always going to be through Zoom. Right. We're just right. going to open up a link. 20 people can go in. Those people can choose to apply if they want to come and see it in person. Yeah. It's almost like a job interview when you, yeah, 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 when exactly. you do like a phone call and then the Zoom meeting right. and then right, in right. person. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, I actually have a question um, more kind of like looking forward, right? So we've talked about like what's happening now um, and we're very near the close of 2020. I know everyone can't wait for this year to be over, but um elections coming up and um in light of that do do you have any sort of best case or worst case scenario predictions that we could potentially see or expect for the last quarter of 2020 um in terms of like you know the property management industry or online rent payments yeah it's a great question so you know i think the the worst case of course is that COVID rears its ugly head in a, in a significant way again, right? And that significant portions of the economy need to shut down. People are laid off again. And that coupled with no relief package, right? Um, because again, that happened in the first case. I mean, we had obviously record unemployment to a level we've never seen before because of COVID. And, and people were able to weather the storm because of the relief that was offered. So if those two things happen together, I do think we're ultimately going to see a problem with delinquencies. Um, because I think that all the different things that we talked about here on the call, um, they helped reduce, they helped mitigate that, that impact for the landlords. But if that doesn't come, then I think we are going to see a sharp increase in delinquencies and a sharp increase in evictions whenever that's, that's possible again. So that would be a worst case scenario. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen. I think a best case scenario is that, as I said, it just accelerates some of these processes that are more positive trends, right? More people doing digital showings, which makes both the, the landlord and property manager and the, the potential tenant's life easier. More people engaging in, in digital software for things like lease signing and online payments and tenant screening than were before. Um, 
you know, we're seeing an upward trend in that direction, which is, which is great, which is exciting. Renters love that kind of thing. Tenant, uh, landlords and, and property managers that have used it love that kind of thing. But um, this certainly could continue to accelerate that. So I would, I would see that as the most positive. We get the market back to normal from a, a dollars and cents standpoint as quickly as possible. And we accelerate the, the kind of digital revolution that's occurring within the market. What about 2021? Do you think it's, it, is your prediction kind of the same, the same thing, or do you see something different happening next year? I mean, there are a whole bunch of balls in the air, so right. who yeah, knows that, which way it could go. Exactly. That's the thing. Who knows which way? And I, I think it's going to depend in, in large part on, on the vaccine situation, how quickly that occurs. Um, but I think that my answer pretty much holds true. Um, if something, you know, maybe we make it through the winter and it's not too bad, but then come spring of next year, COVID jumps up again, who knows? Um, but if those things occur, that's where I see a challenge. If they don't occur, I do think that that digitization trend is, is going to really continue. And if it, if it does go, you know, for the worst case scenario, what do you see as a solution for property managers and landlords to continue keeping that delinquency number down? Do you think it's more aggressive concessions? Um, is that kind of the only alternative? Yeah, unfortunately, I think, I think to a large degree it is. I mean, I think that, you know, landlords and, and real estate investors did not get a lot of direct um, assistance in the CARES Act or any, any subsequent legislation. They got a lot of indirect, right? Because renters were able to continue to make payments, but they didn't get a lot of direct assistance. And mm -hmm. it may come to that. It may come to putting a moratorium on not just evictions, but on mortgage payments in general, right? So lobbying in that direction, if necessary. And, and there's a lot of great groups that are, that are, are pushing for that kind of thing. Uh, but other than that, I would say continuing to make concessions, find out what your bottom line is. Where do you need to be to cover your expenses? What kind of kitty do you have set aside in case of something like this, where you do have... Um, issues having income and cash flow coming in those would be would be big ones but this is really more than anything a, a lesson for the future similar to what we saw in 2008 don't over leverage yourself right make sure that the income that you're getting from your properties well exceeds the mark you need to be in make sure that you're investing smartly that as a property manager you're taking on smart clients right that you're taking on properties that you know you can rent effectively don't take on a property where the the owner of it is demanding $1,500 when you know the market bears 1200 right? Um, don't rely on that as a source of income for you because that's probably going to go away when there's a shock like this to the market. So I think the biggest takeaway is, is to just learn this lesson moving forward. And as long as you can weather this storm, take that in stride and, and, and try to invest and, and grow your business um, more intelligently in the future. Yeah. I think that's really interesting when you talk about how like moving forward, one way to protect yourself is to, you know, know your bottom line. Don't over leverage yourself. Don't right. take on a door just because it's a door. A door. Exactly. Like, if you understand. So at four and a half, so we're, you know, uh, our podcast is by four and a half and it's a marketing agency. So we always drill into everyone's minds that there's this concept of an ideal client, right? Like in a perfect world, this ideal client gets you. Right. Yeah. Makes and you they, the most money for the least amount of stress. Right. And it's like, and it, it, it's funny how like, it's not just for, you know, marketing speak. It's also mm -hmm. like, no, this is how you protect yourself when, you know, black swan events like the pandemic happen. Totally. Um, and then to go back to, you know, kind of the topic of moving everything online, like everyone 
was slowly trying to move online, like rent payments, showings, everything. Right. But like you said, everything has been accelerated. Um, but obviously, it's still not 100% adoption, right? Um, there are costs involved, right, to move everything online. So what would you say um, to property managers who kind of feel stuck? They're like, well, maybe COVID's almost over. I can just weather the storm out and I don't need to go online. Um, but then you know, if everyone else moves online, then you're left behind, but then it requires some kind of initial investment. Like what advice can you give to that kind of property manager listening to us right now? Yeah. Well, you know, I think that that part of the market is really shifting. Um, that it maybe doesn't require the same type of investment that it has in the past, right? Like the traditional players, we call them legacy players internally in Inago. And, and these are the, the folks like a, an Appfolio or a Yardi that I'm sure your listeners are, are really familiar with. These are great programs that served really, really well for a long time. They are, they can be expensive, not just in the dollars invested, but the time invested to learn those platforms. But what we've seen in it, of course, as, as with all things real estate related, it's taken a little bit longer to get here for, for uh, things in the property space. Uh, but we've seen more of this digital revolution touching on rental management software just as much as it's touching on other things um, throughout uh, you know, the economy. So we're seeing easier software. We're seeing software with less barriers to entry. Um, just as an example, to use Inago, we are free to use, right? And we're not the only one. You can find other platforms like it. And we put a premium on making our tools easy to use and easy to collaborate on. And if you do a little bit of digging as a landlord, as a property manager, if you try out a handful of different platforms, I think that landlords and property managers will be pleasantly surprised by, by what that small investment can, can return and that the, the barrier to entry is not nearly as high as it once was. And what's a better time than now to, to give that a shot? I mean, can't and be. so um, talking about like going online. So it's one thing to bring like your operations online, mm -hmm. um, but like the rent collection piece, right? So obviously um, there are processing fees that are involved sure. when you have online payments. Um, so I know for a fact, the property manager who uh, manages my apartment, they pass on like the processing fees to the tenants. Um, and so Maybe in, uh, maybe in markets like San Francisco, it's like, it's a given, you know, everyone's right. used to online payments. We don't mind paying for the extra convenience, but in other markets, maybe tenants would be turned off and not use the online platform. So right. um, what would you say is kind of like um, any kind of advice that you can give to a property manager who hasn't taken the plunge, but it's kind of like thinking of how to overcome that obstacle of who pays for the processing fee? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think this is a, a good opportunity to create a concession and a pretty affordable concession at that, right? So, um, you know, we, we have seen internally that when people start using our online payment platform, they typically see a anywhere from a, a 20 all the way up to an 80% increase in the speed in which all of their rent is collected. So if normally it's all collected by the fifth, all of a sudden they start using our platform, it's all collected by, you know, the third right? So it's happening faster. People tend to pay faster. There's reminder systems built in. There's a convenience factor there. You know, the tenant could be sitting on the couch watching a movie. They get a notification. Hey, don't forget to pay rent. They click a button. It's paid. So you're going to have more people paying on time, right? The tenants love that convenience. They want to have that convenience. So a great concession to take to your tenants is to say, hey, we're offering this new platform, right? Whatever it is, uh, where you can pay rent electronically and it's simple and easy to use 
we're going to cover the fee for the next few months. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of platforms out there that have very low cost that even to the landlord or property manager, or even to the tenant, if it's passed on to them, it's nothing insurmountable, but the property manager or landlord can take that on for a few months during COVID. They can even position it as we're trying to reduce contact here. We're trying to keep you safe as renters. We're also trying to add some convenience to your life. We're going to take this cost on and you can pay for free after a handful of months. We're probably going to pass that fee back to you. And they can flip that switch when the time comes. But at that point, the tenants will have had experience with it. They'll understand and recognize the, the value in it, right? They'll see the convenience. They'll say, mm-hmm. hey, this was a lot better. I'm going to keep paying online, even if it's a buck or two bucks or whatever, to pay online now moving forward. So I would look at it in that way. I would try to create that concession and add value and bring value to the tenants without costing too much on my side as a property manager or landlord. I want to I dig into this a little bit more because I'm curious. So yeah. what... Why does the tenant need to know about the processing fee? Is it something that has to be um, uh, obvious in, in a platform or, and, and how much is a processing fee? Typically it's, you know, is it like three and a half percent, something like a bank processing fee? Because when, if you think about it, you think of these programs and like Best Buy is always an example that comes up where it's like, you know, you pay Geek Squad or whatever it's called these days, uh, a premium amount, or I don't know if it's, premium is the right word, but you pay, yeah, you pay them a premium and no matter yeah. what, what is wrong with your computer, you pay that same price. So wouldn't that stand to reason that you could just factor in those processing fees into the rent without the tenant necessarily being aware of it? Cause when, when Marie said, you know, to pay online, I, I don't care about the processing fees. We're used to it. Of course, somebody's going to care if they're logging into a portal and they're about and they to pay you know, however sure. much, exactly. But if it's a few dollars every month, why not just raise the rent by $5 across the board? Is there a huge barrier to doing that? No, that's a, a very good point. And I think it, it actually is, is part of the reason it's, it's a great concession. What I mean by that is for new tenants, I actually, when I talk to landlords and property managers, I encourage them to handle it in, in exactly that way. Simply raise the rent if you're going to eat the fee yourself. Yeah. Um, just raise it. They won't know the difference. Nobody's going to be like, this one bedroom is $1,000. This one's 1005 I'm going with the $1,000 one, right? That's right. not how they're making their decision. It's just five bucks. Um, and in our case, it's, it's a maximum of $2 on a, on a bank. Great. <laughs> um, so it's not much. The, the real question is for existing tenants and how do you want to manage that? And you don't have to let them know. You could just say, oh, we're going to take the fee on. We're not even going to tell the tenants about it. We're just going to offer them this way to pay online and they'll, they'll be fine. And, and they can go in and pay and, and we'll eat the $2 fee in this case and uh, all will be good. Um, but if you did want to try to migrate over to having the tenants pay it in the future, um, that would be the point at which you'd say like, hey, we're going to cover it for a few months and then we'll pass it back sense. on you. But you're it's totally like right. You, you don't have to show any convenience. rent all at once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that makes You can't just sense. all of a sudden be like, we signed a contract, but it's going to be another $5. That would be a huge, yeah, that would be an issue. Like, why right, am I right, signing right. a new agreement? What is this $5 for? That's when people ask questions. That makes a lot of sense. Sure. But, but you could, I mean, goal. by the same token, if you're, if you're planning on reducing rent by a hundred bucks for the next six months, you don't necessarily have to tell them. And instead you could reduce by $95 or whatever, right? So you could kind of bake it into what other, whatever other concessions you're putting in place to deal with, with some of the delinquency issues in COVID. Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. So do you have any final takeaways for our audience today? I know we covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did cover a lot. Um, I would, uh, I would just say, you know, 
be diligent about your business as always. Um, be focused in your business. Um, try to be creative. You know, there's, there's people on the other side. Tenants also have a lot of stresses, right? Just as many as you have as a landlord. The reason that they may be having trouble paying rent, the reason that your occupancy might be down is because other people have a lot of stresses in their life. And be empathetic to that. Understand that. Work with your tenants. And hopefully you've attracted good tenants through empathy in the past. And, and, and because of that, you'll be able to get through it together. But I do think it's going to require people to work together, especially if some of those more worst case scenario types of issues occur. Uh, so I encourage landlords and property managers to just pay attention to their tenants, work with their tenants, talk to their tenants, uh, make it a communal thing more than anything. Yeah. And it is an interesting shift because it's like, historically, the property manager has been hired to be the bad guy because totally. a landlord you know, it's easy to get emotional when you're dealing with somebody, but it's, it's, I mean, it's easy to get emotional in any circumstance, but at least you have a little bit more leverage to stick to the rules. If, if you say, you know, not my, not my rules, I just work for the owner, but in this situation, the framework totally. has to change a little bit. And uh, it's just a, an interesting right. change to the narrative that we're so used to hearing. Yeah. We always tell landlords and property managers, you, you actually don't have to be the bad guy, but you do have to be the firm guy, right? You have to right. stick to something and you have to hold your tenants accountable for things. That's really the big difference. You can still be empathetic and warm and, and, and considerate to your tenants and, and hear them out, but you have to be firm and you have to stick to your guns and, and whatever path you choose to take, you got to go take that path. Just make sure it's the right one and, and stick to it. That's excellent advice. I love that. So Dave, thank you so much for making time to be our guest today. It was a pleasure interviewing you. Thanks so much, guys. It was, it was great talking to both of you. A lot of great questions. Hopefully it was helpful and insightful to your audience. Totally. Definitely will be. Thanks so much.